Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. Okay, we're live. Um, it's called Those Walking Lockins. Yogo, Yago. That's the name of your podcast? Yeah. Welcome to Nerdcast. I'm Scott Bland. Um, and that's my son, Sam. It's just Sammy. He's recently taken to playing podcast host. What's it about? It's a pretty long podcast. And I know, as a podcast host myself, that Sam's going to need a podcast guest. And so the other day I asked him if he could have anyone on his bizarrely named podcast, who would he book? Um, My favorite guest to do. My three-year-old's first pick is going big. The leader of the free world, President Joe Biden. It's Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, a real newsmaker, huh? I'm, I'm all done. I think uh, catching a little bit of the inauguration on TV a few weeks ago made a, a pretty big impression on him. That's all. All those people just looking at one person. Just pretty much the child's dream. That's all. Anyway, good luck, little man. The thing is, you're going to have to get in line. You know, it's just a lot of... Um, I'm I'm definitely not complaining, but it's just a lot of craziness in terms of like, you know, when you're traveling with the president. You're going to have to get through the people who keep Biden's schedule first. It's crazy to try to keep up with him. This is one of our White House correspondents, Anita Kumar. She knows what it's like to try and get access to the president. That's a big part of her job. It's like you're always worried that they're going to leave you behind because the president's getting ready to leave. And if you're not in the van, they're going to leave you. We already knew that Joe Biden's White House would look drastically different from Donald Trump's. It's just more calm. That's part of the whole reason he ran for president in the first place. And I hate to use that word because that's sort of their talking point, that they're more calm. Today, we're going inside the West Wing to see how that's manifesting itself. Who is managing President Biden's time and what that means. For the last four years, Anita was in what looked and sounded like a pretty chaotic Trump White House. The The briefing room is so much smaller than it appears on TV. And during the Trump era, if there was ever a briefing, it would be so incredibly crowded. Your campaign, your campaign. Wait, there is not enough room in that little room. If I may ask one other question, Mr. President, that's enough to get all these reporters there. And people are screaming and they're wanting to ask questions. And I know people see that on television, but it you can't even. I can't even convey how sort of crowded and crazy it was because people were just screaming things out. You rudely interrupted him. You rudely interrupted him. Sounds like a great time, right? How does that compare to Biden's briefing room? It is so different. Of course, it's partially quieter because of the reduced capacity during COVID. Partly because of COVID. But why else is it so different? Because, you know... I will freely tell you that you can watch Jen Psaki and she's not answering some questions. And not only is she not answering some questions, she's sort of poking fun at other questions. But one thing that's not happening is there's no sort of mean back and forth where they're arguing about something like not even just a little something like democracy. I mean, they're they're yelling back and forth about facts and who lied. And 
it's just kind of gone. It's like vanished. So it's not more formal. It's just not everybody's happy. Not everybody's getting their answers, but it's just, I don't know, more even. So things are quieter, sure. But here's the real question at the start of a new administration. What is the new president doing with their time? And who's really in charge of the president's time as the, the main gatekeepers in the West Wing? I mean, I think you have to go back to look at what the Donald Trump White House was like, or really just the man himself. It really starts with the president. He would not have a schedule sometimes. He would just let people come into the Oval Office who were there, some of his aides or even outside friends who were visiting the White House. There was no one really to stop them from going into the Oval Office. You know, when he was there by himself, he would pick up the phone and just call friends. He would just call people. Remember for the last four years how sometimes he'll call into Fox News. Thank you very much for starting your day with Fox and Friends. Thank you. Okay, it's been great. We'll do it every week? Yeah, we're going to do it every week. Every Monday, I think they said it. Or he'll call into a radio station. And and it wasn't planned. Well, I want to thank you, Rush. You're a fantastic man. Mr. Trump, welcome to the John Frederick Show in Virginia. Great to have you. Good morning, John. Great to be with you. And for reference for our listeners who have never been president before, th- this is unusual. This is so unusual. <laughs> um, I assume all of our listeners probably have never been president, but it's so unusual. I mean, if you think about, it's not just president, think about someone who runs a big company. They're going to have a calendar. They're going to have a list of people that they're supposed to call that day, maybe even with specific times. Someone even might do the calling for them, and then they pick up the phone. None of that was really happening with Donald Trump, but not on a sort of a regular basis. The Biden White House is completely different. Yeah. You mentioned the gatekeepers. He has sort of three people that work on his schedule and allow people to go into the Oval Office or not and place those calls for him and get people on the phone and invite them to maybe a video call that he wants to do. So he has people to do all that. He may say, hey, look, I really want to speak to Senator so-and-so today, but someone's making that happen and organizing his life, really. Uh And so it's just a completely different thing. You know, Donald Trump used to bristle when aides, not just aides, like his chief of staff tried to do that. He got angry about it. Maybe explains why Trump went through four chiefs of staff in in four years, right? That's right. (laughs) But, I mean, what you're talking about here, this confers a lot of power on those gatekeepers, right? Because if they're the ones deciding what people and information get in front of President Biden... And if you kind of subscribe to the the feeling, which I think, like, as you point out, the kind of traditional structure of how these things are scheduled, that the most valuable thing a president has is their time, then that, that confers enormous power on these, what, these three people uh, who are, are able to kind of figure out who Biden is coming into contact with and under what circumstances. Yeah, I mean, totally. But remember, he's not just hiring people. Uh, to do these big jobs that he hired and met two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. These are people that have been in his life for a really long time. And who are these these three people? What's the roster? One is a household name. One is Ron Klain, who people may know is his chief of staff, served as Biden's chief of staff before and has been around. And I think some of the reason people might know him is he's been on television a lot sort of talking. Welcome to Meet the Press. Joining us now is President Biden's chief of staff. And that is Ron Klain. Good morning to you. Thanks for having me, Nora. And he's sort of the big picture guy. Like, what do you want to accomplish? 
you know, who do you need to talk to for a particular policy proposal, that kind of thing. The other two people are younger and people may not know who they are at all. They will not be household names at all. I'm, I'm sort of laughing a little because one was featured in, in one of our newsletters. Mm-hmm. If everybody read that, she may be a household name. But um, <laughs> the name is Annie Tomasini and she's her title is Director of Oval Office Operations. Now, that title is sort of a funny title and it's always existed. It's not like it's a new title. But it just doesn't convey that she can control, you know, who's going in and out of the room, who can call him, who can talk to him. And one person I talked to about Annie said she basically runs his life. And this is before he was in the White House. This is uh, she's been with him for a while. And particularly during covid times, she was sort of the lifeline to people outside. She could get him a visit or a phone call with people during this transition in the campaign when he wasn't really able to do that. Third person is Ashley Williams, and she has uh, a similar title. She's the deputy director of Oval Office Operations, and you might consider her as sort of an executive assistant, a secretary almost. She sits right outside the Oval Office, but the fact that she has that title really, you know, signifies her importance to Joe Biden. What are the practical effects of this kind of setup in terms of of what a Biden administration will accomplish and how? He likes to read a briefing paper, you know, a memo, basically. He doesn't like a super long one like President Obama wanted, this really long, thorough thing. And then after, he wants to sit in a room with his aides and and talk through that policy proposal. And he wants to then call people. Now, of course, normally in non-COVID times, he'd, he'd want to sit around a room and talk to policy experts about a particular proposal. That's not really happening these days. So what he's doing is doing these by video, you know, Zoom-type meetings like we're all so used to. And these are the people that help gather those people for him. Who should he talk to about an issue? And then how should they meet? What does that look like? Who's all together in that room or at least on that video chat? And then he makes the decision, right? He's he's talking through with his aides after he's sort of debating with them about what's the real world impact. That's something that a lot of his aides and former aides told me that he does. He doesn't just say, OK, well, this is going to do blank. He wants to know how it affects Joe, not him, Joe in Missouri. You know, how does it affect a regular person out there? And so then he'll make a decision. So I think, you know, this process and these gatekeepers all help him make decisions. And of course, as president, he's got a million decisions to make. So knowing how he's going to make that decision, I think is important. And and he wants it to be in a comfortable way for him, something he's used to. That's interesting. I mean, you really get a sense of how a president's personality comes through maybe in in the way they set up their decision-making process. Yeah, totally. I mean, one thing that I'm pointing out is, so Donald Trump really didn't want any briefing papers. He didn't want the briefing memos. I mean, he notoriously wanted sort of famously wanted like maps and charts and graphs, right? He didn't really want to read a lot. And he he wanted people to basically fight to the death in front of him, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) And President Obama wanted these really, you know, thorough briefing books almost that he could read. And then sometimes afterwards, the aides would say, hey, do you want to go through this? And sometimes he would just say, no, I've read it. I'm done. So uh, Joe Biden's different. He's the kind of guy he wants that concise briefing paper, but then he wants to sit around and talk about it. It's really all about Joe Biden needing people. He loves to talk to people and sort of relishes the debate. As members of the press, we subscribe to the White House press list. We get a daily public schedule for Biden emailed out every day. But it's fairly sparse. What we're seeing is really, 
it's an iceberg situation, right? There's this little bit that's sticking out above the surface. We might see if he meets with a member of Congress or we might not. And then there are these gatekeepers and the rest of the people in the West Wing running a much more complicated schedule underneath. There are tons of calls. All the, the meetings and the calls and the video chats I just mentioned are not on the schedule. And there are lots of days that he's calling members of Congress and we don't know about it. We, we ask, uh, the press asks pretty much every day, um, and sometimes we hear about it and sometimes we don't. You remember he's also calling world leaders. So we don't see a lot of his schedule. We see what they want us to see and what they, what they tell us. I mean, one thing I learned from this story is he is basically trying to call local officials. So I'm talking about mayors um, and governors every single day. And I'm not sure any of those calls have really leaked out there, um, you know, at all. I mean, that's something apparently that he really loves to do. But I didn't realize that. And he's he's basically doing that every single day. I mean, is he doing that to like line up support for something? Or is he doing that more to take the pulse uh, of, of kind of people out there? Yeah, I mean, my sense so far is it's checking in. You know, he's new. It's It's been two weeks. He wants to check in how things are going. Now, primarily, it's going to be about coronavirus, right? You know, are you getting the vaccine? What's that like? What's going on in your state? But I think he'd probably be checking in about about other things. He's the kind of guy, this personality is, he just really wants to talk to people. This is part of the job that he loves. So even though he's kind of cooped up in the White House right now with coronavirus, he can't go out and have these trips and and do events like we're used to seeing presidents do. He's still going to try to have those connections. Yeah. You you mentioned... Biden trying to to regularly call members of Congress, and uh, you know, obviously he was in Congress himself for a very long time, uh, and and I think much has been made of his understanding of the institution, or at least his his own feeling of his understanding of the institution, which has changed a lot in the thirteen years since he was a member of it. How do you think that is going to affect his presidency, or what what are kind of the early signs you're seeing from from those efforts of how it might affect his presidency? Oh, I think this week we're really starting to see it. He is finally, I say finally, it's only been two weeks. He (laughs) is, you know, that's what they keep saying at the Biden White House. Stop judging us. It's been eight days or whatever it's been. He is really starting to try to be part of the negotiation. So the number one policy issue that's going on right now in Washington and particularly in the White House is this COVID relief bill. Can they pass some legislation? And he he very much wants to pass almost $2 trillion of, of funding for various things. And so, you know, the first couple of weeks, we didn't really see him on the outside engage on that as much. I mean, I suspect and, and I know that he called members of Congress about it. Um, so there was that. But what we're really seeing this week is he's calling into the House Democratic Caucus. He's invited Republican senators over uh, to talk about things. I mean, he is trying to be the negotiator. He thinks that he has an idea of what they will go for. He, he, you know, negotiated a lot of deals when he was on Capitol Hill. He, he, he campaigned on that. He said Democrats and Republicans came together. He helped bring them together and broker a deal. So that's what he's trying to do. Now, a lot's changed since he's been in, in Congress and, and things have gotten even more partisan than they were before. And, and both the House and Senate are extremely tight. Obviously, Democrats have control, but he doesn't have much a majority in either place. So things are a bit different, but you can really see him this week trying to say, look, I'm the guy that came from Congress. I can help you cut this deal. And also, you know, there's been this realization, I think, from watching the Obama experience up close of not wanting to let things like sit and fester, have momentum slow down. 
in the search for Republican votes, that there's this window of maximum opportunity to get things done. You're right. I mean, with President Obama, there was, you know, he never really was able to work with Republicans. Um, you know, that's not shocking. Donald Trump was never really able to work with Democrats. So, I mean, it's it happens. But I think that Joe Biden is trying to do things differently. And look, he feels that he's different than Donald Trump and Barack Obama. Yes, Obama came from the Senate, but barely. He was barely there. You know, Joe Biden was there for three decades. It's just a it's just a whole different situation. And he really feels like that's his strength. I mean, I think it's it's interesting to think about one of the early signs, I think, of Biden's strength, obviously, besides his uh, the, the connection he had with with African-American Democrats and with a, kind of a broader swath of people as the former vice president, um, was that if you go back and look at polls from 2019, that you, you see like a very large number of Democratic primary voters, like three quarters or more, said that they thought it was important to try and work with Republicans in Washington. And I think that view is probably underrepresented a little bit on like political Twitter <laughs> or any any number of other places. But but it it seems to be a very it's like a very strong feeling that normal voters seem to have or have had at least. Yeah, I mean, I I think totally when you go out past sort of the D.C. metro area and you talk to people at even at sort of, you know, Republican and Democratic events, they're they're all saying that it's the thing they sort of hate about Washington. Why can't anyone get along and just get some stuff done? And, uh, you know, that they don't they don't have the luxury of, you know, having an argument and not solving something where they are. Right. They just get it done because they have to do something. So it's the thing that they always complain about and they really do want. I think even more recent polls have shown People want Joe Biden to work with Republicans, even on this coronavirus bill. So I do think he thinks that this is President Biden thinks this is something that he really should work on. It's not it's not just words. He really believes it. But the question is, can he really do it? And I think it's going to be it's going to be tough. Yeah. And I think maybe this idea circles back to to what we started out talking about, about why it's important to understand the people who are working closely with with the president and what what motivates them and kind of what situations they're operating under right i mean that's that's kind of the the point of this this gatekeeper story we've been talking about is that to accomplish any of this the way that president biden is spending his time and and the people who are helping manage that process becomes hugely important yeah totally i mean you can't it can't be just about joe biden because he has this enormously important job and so many people are there every day, virtually or in person, helping him with that job. And so you've got to take that into account, what they're looking for, what they want, and, you know, what they plan to do. So it's it's not just about Joe Biden. It's about all of that. Anita, thank you so much for taking the time to talk us through all this. Sure. Thanks for having me back. All right. That's our show. Our producer is Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Amund. And our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our illustrator is Bill Cookman. If you like our show, then like it. Leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It helps more people find the show. And while you're doing that, you can check out some of our other podcasts. There's Politico Dispatch, Politico Energy, and Pulse Check, just to name a few. We'll talk to you again next week. Oh, new episode? A new episode. It's called Those Walking Dawkins, and it's called Poco Taker, Yago, Coco, Dico, Kiko, Oka, Yago, Yago.
and the sewing, and now I'm all done.